0: Well, how are you guys doing this morning? All right, all right, where are my Browns fans at? Dang, okay. Now, I'm not a Browns fan. Uh, My team's not there, but I'm not really into the whole professional football anyway. I'm more into college football, which we're not going to talk about today, all right? Um, But uh, Browns, it's been like, what, 27 years since you guys last won a playoff game? Something like that. Am I off? Like 90... Two or something, yeah. Too long. And, and for a while there, Browns weren't even a team anymore. Um, but, uh, but hey, just wanted, to, just wanted to give you guys a shout out because I don't think we'll be able to do this next week because um, I don't think you guys have a chance today. But, uh, but hey, you got hope and uh, hold on to that hope as long as you can, all right? That's cool. I respect that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but hey, uh, this morning we're continuing on in our series called Borrowed Time. And the whole idea of this series is really, is based off the fact that our life is short. Right, in fact, our life is a lot like this hourglass, right? This is what we've been talking about. Um, at some point, our life begins, okay, and some day it's going to run out, right? None of us know when that is. Isn't it, you know, it's kind of weird. None of us know how much time we have left, right? We don't know how much time we have, you know, left in the tank and, um, And we're not guaranteed next year, right? In fact, there's probably people here in this room that won't be with us next year. It's just how it is. We're not guaranteed next month. We're not guaranteed next week. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so really, as a Christian, what that should do to us, because that's the reality, okay? That's the truth. Um, As a Christian, that should really give us a sense of urgency in our life, right? It should make us feel that way, make us feel... That urgency And knowing that and having that urgency and kind of having that understanding, it should really change our understanding of our life, and it should really change the way that we think about life, and it should really change what we do in life. And in a sense, that's what Paul is trying to warn Timothy about in the the letter of 2 Timothy, which is the book that we're going through as we go through this series. Um, Paul, in this letter, he writes this letter to this young guy named Timothy. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the, the world at that point. There's a lot of stuff going on in Paul's life. Uh, the year was 66 AD, and Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. And this wasn't like what we normally think a prison uh, where it's like, you know, a cell and you got the iron gates. No, this was literally a hole in the ground. Like a cave in the ground that they that in Rome that they used as a as a prison it 's like a pit and uh, and paul 's in chains, and he they 're just kind of left in there to kind of fend for themselves and uh, and he had been at this point obviously he he was arrested he, this was the second time that he was arrested, and he wasn 't arrested for doing anything like criminally wrong, all right? Some big moral thing. Uh, He was arrested because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. I mean, that was the reason. And so you got this guy named Paul. He had this uh, preliminary hearing. Uh, It didn't seem to go well. He has been arrested. And it's clear to Paul that he's not going to survive this, all right? Like he knows it. He's already come to grips with that. We're actually, uh, next week as we finish this series off, we'll really see kind of his last words of his last words. And so um, and he's expected to be executed soon. Many of Paul's friends, the guys that he was with, that he was doing ministry with, they had completely abandoned him. And so uh, from the world's standpoint, as you look at Paul's life at this point, I mean, everything just seems to be going all wrong for him. All right? And that's the context, and that's kind of the background. That's what's going on as one day Paul decides to sit down in his hole of a prison cell, right? In his hole of a prison cell, cold, wet, dark, knowing that he doesn't have much time left. He's got this young guy named Timothy on his mind, a guy who he was pouring into, a guy who was training, he was training. He was coaching him, the guy who he was investing into. And he begins to write what he believes is probably his last words to us, to his friend. And he begins by reminding Timothy and really reminding us, right, that uh, we have a purpose, right? That's what we talked about the first week, that we have work to do. Like, there's a reason why we're here. And it's not to, to make the world a better place and all that kind of stuff. No, a reason, really, the, the whole purpose of what we as Christians are to do, our job, our work, is this. So, like, like listen in here, okay, because this is, this is important. People always miss this for some reason. And we've talked about the last two weeks, but I'm going to say it again. Our job. Right, As Christians, okay, and that's not everybody in this room, I completely recognize that, but probably for most of us in here, our job as Christians, if we've truly given our, our, our lives over to Jesus, is to do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. That's it. right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. Day in. And day out, right? That's our mission. That's our job. That, as we wake up in the morning, our minds should automatically focus as a Christian to, okay, who am I going to see? Who am I going to meet? How can I influence them for Jesus? Okay, that's, that's how we're supposed to live. That's what the Bible tells us to do. That's what Jesus said in his last words before he went back up to heaven. He's like, hey, I want you to go tell people about what I've done for them. And that's what Paul was reminding Timothy, at least at the beginning of this letter. He's like, hey, you know, you need to, you got work to do. All right, and then last week he's saying, hey, then this is how you do that work, right? You got to be like a soldier. You got to, everything you do should be about pleasing your commander. In our case, that's God. And you got to be like an athlete where you're competing for people's souls. You got to do it according to to God's, you know, do it God's way. And you got to be like a farmer where you got to work hard. All right, it's work. And when we do that, Paul was saying, that's when we get to become useful to God. God uses all Christians, but some of us, uh, some Christians are a lot more useful than others. And, and, and then he painted this picture last week as, as he's saying, hey, someday our whole goal should be we get to stand next to Jesus and we get to present him our body of work. Like, here's my work. And hear him tell us, good job. Like, that's what, as a Christian, that's what we should be all about, right? That's what we're looking forward to in the future. And so Paul explains all this to Timothy. He's like, hey, these are my last words. All right, I want you to understand this. Like, I want you to get this. And then, um, and then he gives Timothy, and he gives us a quick warning th- this morning. And this is what he says in... 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says, but know this. Literally, it means uh, write this down. Like, like Timothy, like, out of all the things you gotta know, like, I just want to tell you this. Okay, write this in your notes. He says, He says, Hard times will come in the last days. That stinks, <laughs> right? It's like, oh. Okay, so he's getting Timothy. All you know, get ready. This you know, write this down. Get ready for this. Oh yeah, you you're the last days. I mean, for you, Timothy. I mean, life's gonna get hard. It's gonna get difficult. And it's funny um, because I you know talking to a lot of Christians, a lot of people. They get hung up on stuff like this, where it's like, okay, you know, they see these words, "last days." They're like, "Oh, last days! Like, when is that? You know, is is that here?" We see all the stuff that's going on in our society and in our world around us, and it's, you know, our, we got that on our mind. Like, is this the last days? Is this how it's going to happen? Is this what's going on? Is God doing something? You know, or, are we are we finally here to the last days? Is Jesus coming soon, and all this type of stuff. You know, I talk to people all the time who are, who are asking those questions. Really, it's not really the question that we should be asking, like when. All right, by the way, the Bible tells us that we can never know when, um, that, that nobody knows when, which is interesting because when somebody, you know, every few years, you got somebody who predicts that the end of the world is gonna be on, you know, whatever day, and I can promise you that it won't be on that day because, you know, the Bible says nobody knows. All right, so it's like, in saying that, they like disqualify that day of all days. Anyway, but... Uh, but, you know, it's not, about, it's, not, it's not about the last days. People, we ask that question, when is it? But the real question that we should be asking is, are we ready? Like, are we, are we doing the work? Are, we, are, are the people around us ready? That's the question we should be asking. By the way, any time in the New Testament that mentions the last days, it's really the days from when Jesus died on the cross all the way to when he comes back. So we've been in the last days for like 2,000 years. So I think it's probably safe to say we're in the last days of the last days. But that's really not what Paul's point is. All right? his, last, his point is not, you know, when's the last day, you know, when's the end coming, when it, you know, what's going on with all that. What Paul is doing it is he's warning us. He's saying, hey, just so you know, just so you're ready, life's going to be hard. Life's going to get difficult. And it's not just hard in the sense, it's not just difficult in the sense of, oh, man, my, you know, I hurt my foot, you know. Oh, this, this is rough. That's not what he's talking about. Right? He's talking about life is going to get difficult specifically because we are Christians, right, specifically because we're doing the work that God's told us to do, specifically because we're doing whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can. When we're doing that, he's saying, because of that, life will get hard. Right? Then he describes how people will be, and he, I think he describes our day pretty well. Right? He says, for people, this is the reason why our life's going to get hard. This is the reason why we're going to have to suffer or we're going to experience pain. He says, because people will be lovers of themselves. Now, let me explain this really quick. Um, I feel like this uh, you know—this is just something we got to talk about real quick. Um, let me say this. Every single person in this room, including myself, we all struggle with loving ourselves too much okay? The world doesn't tell us that. But every single person in this room, including myself, we all struggle with loving ourselves too much. See, our culture teaches us the opposite. Our culture teaches us from a young age, right? We need to love ourselves. I mean, how many times we hear that all over the place? You need to love yourself. And, and schools, by the way, parents, you know, schools are teaching our kids to love themselves more and more and more. And they tell us things like, hey, you have to, you know, you have to love yourself before you can love others and stuff like that. And, and on the surface, I totally get it. I totally understand. On the surface, it sounds so good. Right? It sounds so right. It feels right. But that's not what God teaches. I was actually talking about this with a, with a good friend a whole bunch this week. And, you know, and, and who, who disagreed on this. And, and he's like, no, God wants us to, to love ourselves. And, wants us. and I'm like, there's no place in the Bible where God ever tells us, hey, you should love yourself. Right? There's places in the Bible where we see Jesus, he says, hey, you know, you should love your neighbor as yourself. We totally understand that. But in that teaching, what Jesus' point is, is he's saying, hey, you need to love others. He's not teaching us to love ourselves. He's assuming that we already do love ourselves. All right, so he's using that. See, we shouldn't be in love with ourselves. By the way, we're not supposed to hate ourselves either. All right, that's a sin too. It's actually not about us at all. Now, I totally understand this, all right? And here's the rub, is that there's people out there, everybody in this room, including myself, we've all struggled with negative thoughts about ourselves, all right, and I totally recognize and understand that some people struggle with that a, a heck of a lot more than others. I understand this, uh, this is a real struggle for people where they don't like their abilities, they don't like this about, them that, about themselves, they don't like that about themselves, they don't like the way they look, whatever it might be, track with me here, all right? When we do that, the world tells us, you know, well, you know, you, sh- you hate yourself. You don't respect yourself. But that's not our problem, okay? Our problem is actually that we love ourselves too much when we do that, right? Because if you think about it, past service level, dig down deep a little bit, our attitude when we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I don't like the way I look or I don't like this or I don't like that about me, our attitude is God owes me, God should have made me better at this. Man, I wish God made me look like this. Man, I wish God would have had me more like this. And when we do that, what are we doing? It's all about us. It's all about me, me, me. See, true biblical love, it's selfless, it's not about us. And Paul's saying that's an issue. Actually, that's the issue. That's the big issue that's going on in the last days. He's saying in the last days, you're going to experience pain and you're going to experience suffering, right, because people will be all about themselves. People will be all about loving themselves. And then he describes what loving ourselves produces in our life. And he actually gives 19 terms to describe what loving ourselves does to, our, to ourselves. And uh, it, here, we, here we go. He says, for people will be lovers of self. Now, what does that look like? Okay, this is the rest of the, the terms. He says, that means they're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents. By the way, kids in here, sorry, but that, yeah, that is in there. All right, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanders without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. All right, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he says, but holding on to a form of godliness, but denying his power. All right, it's interesting. So he has all this, these lists, he's like, people, number one, will be lovers of self. And this is the issue with the last days. This is, this is not good. And he says, this is what that looks like. So he gives out these 19, you know, he's just throwing them out there, you know, this and this and this and this. And then at the end he says, "These people will be holding on to a form of godliness. Like there'll be all these types of different people, you could, or you can describe them in all these different ways, but they will still hold on to a form of godliness, meaning they will you know, they, they put on this, this front. they look good on the outside. These people act religious. Maybe most of them are religious. Right? They stand for good stuff. Whatever that might be, they get to decide what's good, not God, though. You know, these people are all about, you know, being moral or looking moral or acting, you know, having everybody around them look at them and say, man, you know, what a, what a great person. They think that they are good. And a lot of these people, what I think is that a lot of these people even trick themselves into believing that they are moral. But deep down, Paul's like, man, they are so far from God the problem is they love themselves way too much. They can't see past themselves. Paul says those types of people, you know who I'm talking about, Timothy? Right, like, th- like those types of people, you've run into those type of, types of people? He says, avoid them. It's like avoid them. And really what he, he, what he means by that is he's like, don't let them like, you know, bring you down. All right, don't let them derail you from your mission. Don't let them derail you from your work, all right? Don't let them make you lose your focus because that's what they're going to try to do, all right? He's saying, hey, you need to stay focused focused on the work that God has given you. You need to stay focused on doing whatever you possibly can to reach as many people as you possibly can for Jesus. And then Paul goes on in verse 6. He says, For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions. Let me stop right there for a second. A lot of people, um, you know, maybe you're out there right now and you're looking at this and you're like, you're feeling a little offended, right? Or maybe you're feeling a little... Um, a little defensive. Let me just say this, FYI. All right, that is a product of our culture, okay? All right, our culture it trains us to think this way, to think that way. All right, here, Paul is not um, trying to demean women in, in any way, all right? He's not trying to pick on women. In fact, what he's doing is he's actually really pointing the finger at men. He's saying, hey, in the last days, there gonna be guys out there who are going to try to take advantage of of women. Now, he's not saying all women. He's not saying all guys either. He's not saying all guys are trying to take advantage of all women, and that's going to be a big problem. He's saying, hey, yeah, some guys, some men, are going to try to take advantage of some women. And these men are deceitful, they are ruthless, and they only desire control. He says they're going to worm their way into these women's lives. It's all about control, all right? It's like they're sly, they're slick. That's what that word is. He's like only to be able to control them. Because remember, these people only care about themselves. They don't care about others, All right, They love themselves. They're lovers of self, Paul says. Right? And then he has, a, then really the, this next verse is kind of scary to me where he's saying these people will always be learning but will never be able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Does that freak you out a little bit in this sense? He's saying it is possible, right, to continue learning, right? It's possible to progress in your thinking and learning about stuff, right, and still never find truth. Like it's possible to have all the doctorate degrees you want, right, and still never find truth. The truth. He's like, this is an issue, right? That's, he's saying all this, this is what's going on in the last days. This is what's going on in our society, in the days that we that we live in here. And then he gives us an example. He's like, hey, uh, Timothy, remember like Janice and John Bryce? He's like, just as Janice and John Bryce res- resisted Moses, remember them? Remember what they did? He said, these people, they're going to resist truth and resist you as well. All right, I was looking at this um, this past week. I'm like, Janice and John Bruce, who the heck are they? You're like, I don't remember them in the, you know, in, X, I don't re- in any of the stories. And, and I went back searching and realized that they're not there, okay? They're not in the Old Testament at all. Uh, this is the only place that they're mentioned in the Bible. And what they are is uh, it's actually a Jewish tradition um, where that call that Paul clearly believed, and Timothy obviously knew about because Paul's mentioning it, but uh, but these guys are the names of Pharaohs to magicians, okay? You remember how that all went down? Moses, Pharaoh, anybody, okay? All right, we haven't talked about it in here, so you gotta pass, all right? But uh, anyway, we haven't talked about it for a long time, but um, it, it goes like this so God goes to Moses, right? So the people of Israel they've been slaves in Egypt for like 400 years, okay. Not good, not fun. Um, But God's used that in a special way. But uh, so he goes to Moses, who's already run away from Egypt, and finds him. And he's like, Hey, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to lead my people. Out of, out of Egypt, I want you to lead the Jews, the Israel, out of Egypt. And so Moses, at first, he's like, no, don't want to. But then later, God makes him do it. And so and this is what God does. And so God, um, so Moses, he goes to Pharaoh. Remember, he's got his brother Aaron with him. They got a staff. And, uh, and the whole point is, uh, Moses, God's going to use Moses to show Pharaoh that he is real. Okay? All right? That he's actually from that Moses is actually coming from God. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, I want you to let all your, you know, want, want you to let all of the Jews go, all your slaves go. And Pharaoh's like, no. Not interested? No way. And Moses is like, well, I'm sent by God. And Pharaoh's like, I don't believe that you are. Prove it. And so what happens is uh, Aaron, he throws his staff on the ground. Remember, it becomes a snake. Right? So there's a miracle in front of him. This was to prove to Pharaoh that God was actually commanding him to do this. And then what's Pharaoh do? He goes to these two guys. Remember, he goes to these two guys. He's like, hey, um, you know, can you guys, these are magicians that work for him. He's like, hey, can you guys do something? Somehow, some way, they make it appear that they could throw their staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. But remember what happened to those snakes? Remember, God's snake eats those snakes, which is just sweet, okay? Just like an extra, like, yeah, gotcha. You know, I don't know what Aaron's like, sorry about your staffs. I, you know, I don't know, because they're gone. But uh, anyway, so, so it's this big thing. But Pharaoh says, no, my guys can do it. So then the next morning, they go to the Nile River where Pharaoh's doing whatever he's doing. And Moses comes, he's like, hey, you need to let you need to let God's people go. And Pharaoh's like, no way. And so Moses like, all right. You asked for it. And so he sticks his staff in the water, and the Manawa River turns to blood. All right? It's a miracle. Right? God can do whatever he wants. And then, uh, and so Pharaoh turns to his magicians. He's like, hey, Janice and Jobbers, hey, can you guys do that? Or is he just, is this some trick or what the deal is? And, and they're like, oh, no, we got this. And so somehow or another, they, you know, trick or whatever it is, but they make it appear that they can do the same thing. And so Pharaoh's not, he's, you know, he's, he's not interested. He's not, not impressed. All right, well, that lasts for about a week. They're running out of water. It starts to smell. The Bible tells us all this bad stuff is happening, which you would expect. And, uh, and Moses goes back to Pharaoh and says, hey, are you, now are you ready to, to, to let God's people go? And Pharaoh's like, no. And Moses like, okay, all right, we're going to make it. So th- he brings this plague. He, he sticks his staff and he brings this plague that, uh, that just a bunch of frogs come out of come out of the river. So there's frogs everywhere. He's like, it's not going to be good. You're going to have frogs in your bed. You're going to have frogs in your food. You're going to have frogs in your house. There's going to be frogs all over the place. And Pharaoh's like, all right. He turns to these guys. He's like, hey, can you guys produce a couple frogs here? You know, just to, and so they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Here's some frogs. And we did the same thing. We just appeared out of nowhere, they're saying. And, and they make it look that way. And so uh, Pharaoh's not impressed. All right, so these guys are actively, they're not just like, hey, Hey, we don't believe um, what this Moses guy is saying. No, these guys are like resisting him, actively resisting him. Right? It's interesting because that was the last plague that they could do, the last miracle, you know, thing that they could do. The next one was gnats. Remember, it was like a swarm of gnats all throughout all throughout Egypt. And uh, and at that point, there, you know, Pharaoh turned to them. He's like, hey, so so you know, you produce some gnats, and they're like, they're like, nah, we we can't do this. This has to be God, all right? But Paul's point is he's pointing all the way back 2,000 years or so in Jewish history. And uh, he's pointing all the way back to these guys He's saying, hey, hey, Timothy, remember those guys? Remember those guys who who resisted Moses? He's like, the same thing's going to happen to you. All right, what you're going to do is you're going to tell them the truth. Right? You're going to tell people about all this that Jesus has done, that he died on the cross so they don't have to pay for everything they've ever done wrong, which is hell forever, the Bible tells us, right? that, that they can actually go to God and God has already paid that for them. a the free gift, you know, completely opposite situation. like this great, wonderful news that what God has done, and they're not just going to not believe you. They're not going to say, you know, it's not just going to be like, "Hey, yeah, um, you know, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't buy into that whole God thing. It's not just going to be that. They'll do that, but it's not just that. He's like, they're going to resist you. They're going to do whatever they can to stop you. because they want to hear it. They don't want the truth. They don't want to hear it. They don't want anything to do with the truth." He's like, "And so this is how it's going to be during the last days. Now our question should be, so uh, okay, so what do we do? Right? So what am I, how am I supposed to act? Like, you know, what do I do about this? He says that in the next verse. He says, but you, you have followed my teaching, right? My conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. He's like, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and, and Lystra. He's saying, hey, uh, Timothy, remember those three cities that we were in together? And remember what they did to us? Remember how that all went down? Remember, I'm out there, we're trying to tell people about all this stuff about Jesus has done and, and remember all the, the pain that we had to go through, all the bad stuff? He's like, what persecutions I endured, right? I'm your example. He says, and yet, remember what God did? He said, the Lord rescued me from the all." He's like, God took care of us. God took care of me. He says, in fact, and this is the key verse out of the whole chapter. He's like, in fact, all Notice he doesn't say some, he doesn't say a few, he doesn't say many, he doesn't say, he doesn't say most. He says all, everyone, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, what's that mean? That means anybody in the word godly life that's really doing the work that we're called to do, that we've been talking about for the last two weeks, all right, doing whatever we can to reach as many people as you possibly can for Jesus. All right, when we're doing that, and we're doing that the way that God has called us to do it, which is what God's called us to do, he's like, by the way, you will, 100%, you will be persecuted. Meaning it's not going to be pleasant all the time. All right, now, let's have a quick chat. <laughs> Our culture that we live in is very idealistic with an extremely low pain threshold. Okay, this is how we grow up. All right, like we hear our culture tell us, hey, you need to go out and change the world as long as it doesn't hurt. You know, it's like we as Christians, what we want is we want a faith where there is no sacrifice. Like we want a faith where there's no discomfort, where there's no pain. We want a faith that just produces happiness and comfort and makes, just makes us, you know, feel good. And if you got this idea that you can use Jesus for a comfortable life, that you can use Jesus for a life without pain, let me just tell you, I'll be straight up with it. You got the wrong guy. It's not what Jesus promises us. It's not what Jesus brings to us in, in, in our life, all right? It's, it, like, it, I was just thinking about this this past week. I'm like, when did we get the idea that Jesus promises us safety? He doesn't. It's not there. It's not in here. All right, see, our culture is all about avoiding, you know, pain and and being comfortable and safety. And and it's not what the Christian life is about. See, so many people, they live their whole life. And and what's their goal? To die safely? Can you do that? (laughs) Living your life, avoiding pain, and avoiding discomfort and, and, you know, running to safety, wherever that is. Let me just tell you, that is a wasted life. That's living your life wasted as a Christian. Paul said, no, that's not how it will be. All right, if you are doing your work, if you're doing whatever you possibly can to reach as many people as you possibly can for Jesus, it will bring, it's not if, it will bring pain and suffering. In fact, I think that the amount of pain and what the word Paul uses here, persecution, that we receive because we're a Christian. Okay, again, this isn't my hurt foot. This is uh, pain and suffering that we receive because we are Christ, Jesus Jesus followers. I think the amount of pain and persecution that we receive because we're a Christian, is actually a good indication of the amount of work that we do for God. So if you're sitting there going, you know, this is how I feel, you know, where it's like, my life's pretty comfortable. are probably not doing much for God. At this time, when Paul's writing this letter, things were crazy. <laughs> All right, horrible, horribly crazy for Christians um, there's this guy named Emperor Nero on the throne in in Rome. And this dude was crazy. Okay, this is crazy, crazy. I mean, this guy was worse than Hitler, all right? This guy murdered his own brother. He murdered his own mom. He murdered his own wife. And he actually cut off her head just to keep her head, okay? Um, he poisoned his friends. He actually, um, he got one of his mistresses pregnant and, Once And and he kicked her to death. He kept kicking her until she died. I mean, this guy was bad. Ancient historians tell us that he would go out at night, break into people's houses, and he would stab the husbands and he would rape the wives. That's what he did. That's what was fun for him. He would dress up in animal skins and crawl around on all fours. He was hated by the Romans. And actually two years before Paul writes this letter, uh, the city of Rome had this huge fire where over 70% of Rome um, burnt down to the ground. And you know what the Roman citizens did? They actually blamed Emperor Nero. The people back then, they thought it was, it was Nero who started, the, who started that fire, Right? And after that fire, it's interesting, Nero, he had planned to build his palace on the 70% of Rome that, fell, that, that burned down to the ground. Okay, just huge. And so this guy was, I mean, talk about somebody who loved himself. I mean, that was this guy. And so when Nero got blamed on when the fire that killed a bunch of people, when that got blamed on Nero, you know what Nero did? He, started, he went to like the weakest, smallest group that he could find, which happened to be at that time this group of Christians, okay, which was a new belief. It was just spreading out, right? Uh, you know, every, this is all new. This is as this book is being written, right, as Paul is writing this letter. And he started blaming the fire on the Christians. And so he, what he started doing is he started rounding them up, as many as he could find, and he just started slaughtering them. Like these are our brothers and sisters, right? These are the people that that told others about what Jesus did, so that me and you, two thousand years later, could hear the good news about what Jesus did. Right? He used to he used them to die in arenas as gladiators. He had them torn apart by animals in front of crowds, right? Just to um, just for entertainment, right? He had them burned alive. He had them nailed to crosses, and it wasn't just about killing Christians to him, all right, And, and you know. having capital punishment. That wasn't the issue. It was more than that. It was, he wanted to kill Christians, but he also wanted to do it in a mocking way. It was almost for like comic relief for him. And he did this to men, women, and children. I mean, think about, uh, you know, soldiers coming into your house, taking your kids and nailing them to a cross where they hung there until they died for hours. I mean, just terrible, horrible stuff, stuff that we can't even imagine in in our culture, in our society. but one thing he used to do is he actually even used to dip Christians in oil alive, and then he would impale them on a pole alive, put the pole in the ground as they hung there alive, and then he would, he would light them on fire and watch them burn alive. And he would put them in his garden and light his garden with burning Christians. Okay, this is what he did. This is the guy who kills Peter. Uh, this is the guy who is about to behead Paul, we know, uh, right after Paul writes this letter. And so for Paul, what he's saying, and, and this is stuff that Timothy and his church had to go through. I mean, this was, like, this was like real. This was the risk that they were taking. And so Paul's like, hey, the world is going to get worse, and life is going to get tough, and it's going to get hard. Timothy, you need to expect it, and you should not be surprised when suffering enters your life. See, here in the U.S., we've had it pretty easy for a long time. Right? None of us have even come close to, you know, being a part of anything like that? I mean, what's the worst persecution? That's Paul's word, right? What's the worst suffering uh, that we receive when we're doing what God's called us to do? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? We talk to somebody, we tell them about what Jesus has done for them, like a good friend or coworker or whatever it might be, and they look at us weird for a week? Like, that's it? That's what holds us back? You know, these people they knew that they could be thrown into an arena with lions, get ripped apart to a crowd cheering them on. But they didn't stop. And so Paul tells us what we're supposed to do. He says, but as for you, who's you? You're you. Okay? hold this is the church. He's talking about Timothy and he's talking to the church. He says, but as for you guys, all right? Grace Church here in Tiffin, to twenty twenty one. He says, "Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed." He says, "You know those who taught you." All right in Timothy's, um, in Timothy's life, we know this from a couple weeks ago in the first part of the letter. Right, we know that who who taught him. It was his mom and his grandma for Timothy, all right. He says, and you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What's he doing? He's getting back to the gospel, right? He's pointing back to the central theme that should be, in part, that should be the central thing, really in all of our lives, which is what Jesus has done for us. He's like, hey, all right, The scripture, you know, the Bible right here, this is what tells us about this great truth about what Jesus has done for us. Like that's the, that's the most important thing. Next verse, he says, and so all scripture is inspired by God. Literally, it means God breathed. Like God spoke these words. And because of that, they are profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good, last word, work. For our work. He's saying, hey, continue in your faith. Right, like just because things get rough, just because things get tough, don't for a second let that derail you from your work. Don't let that scare you away. Right? Don't choose to live a wasted life just because you might experience a little pain. And you know what gets us through? You know what helps us? Is this it's the Bible. It's God's words. This is what keeps us straight. This is why here at Grace, this is what we're all about, right? We have our motto, right? The, the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. I mean, this is the truth. This is what keeps us from sliding from one way or the other, which we are naturally, you know, prone to do. And as Christians, that's what we should be relying on. We should be relying on the truth. By the way, I feel like I have to say this because of our culture, because of how we are, you know, are raised, but truth is not inside of you, right? Truth is not fluid Truth is outside of you and truth is fixed. Okay, that's how it is. What you think is truth doesn't necessarily make anything truth. Right? What I think is true doesn't make it true at all. All right. This, this truth is fixed and it's found right here in the Bible, which doesn't change. See, he's saying the Bible, right, or God's words, that is what equips us for our work. And without it, we got nothing. Without it, we slide away. It's just what we do naturally. And part of the reason why so many of us are wasting our lives, part of the reason why so many of us are not doing our work, right, part of the reason why so many of us are not feeling that urgency, knowing that our life is short, is because we don't read the Bible. Because we're not in tune to what God wants for our life. Yeah, we, I get We come here on Sunday morning. We go through a chapter super quick in 35 minutes. I get that. And that's it. But no, we're supposed to be in this. So, you want to become more useful to God? You want to be able to endure the pain that we get for living our lives right? You want to stop wasting your life? Man, get your dusty Bible out and read it. If you don't know where to start, start in the book of John, it will help you in your work. Let's pray. God, we um, love you, we thank you for, for caring about us, and God, you have given us very comfortable lives here, compared to the rest of the world, compared to history, too comfortable maybe even, but God, we ask that you'd help us stay focused on what you have for us in our lives that we need That our lives are short and we don't have much time and we need to reach as many people as we possibly can. We need to help people find you. Help people start that relationship with you. It's the most important thing that that we can do. That is us in obedience to you. God, we ask that you would help us do that. Help us to make a difference in our work and in our homes and, and, you know, wherever we go. God, we want to not live a wasted life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.